welcome to this Diversity and Inclusivity Finance Forum podcast. Working for difference, making business better and fairer. The DIFF series of podcasts is aimed at helping people from underrepresented groups get into and get on in the mortgage and protection industry. And to help everyone understand why genuinely prioritizing diversity is good for all of us individually, good for your business, and good for the mortgage market as a whole. The views and opinions expressed in this podcast are those of the individuals participating and not necessarily of their respective companies, either past or present. Hello, everybody, and welcome to another Diversity and Inclusivity Finance Forum podcast. And today we are going to be discussing menopause. And I'm joined by Lucinda Pincott, who is a menopause awareness advocate. And whilst she's not medically trained or linked to any company promoting a product, she has over 10 years extensive research and personal experience and is wonderfully placed to offer an unbiased overview of all that menopause means. And we're also joined by one of my favourite people in the whole of financial services, Louise Colley. Louise has worked in the financial services sector for over 33 years, operating at executive levels in a variety of disciplines. She currently leads the Zurich retail protection business and is known for her straight talk on all matters protection. And I can certainly agree with that. She has been passionate for as long as I've known her on the subject. Louise also holds a Master of Arts degree in Strategic Marketing Management and is an Associate Certified Executive Coach with the International Coaching Federation and an all-round top person. So welcome to you both. Lucinda, if I can go to you first, can we start right at the very basics? Could you give us a menopause 101? What is it? Who gets it? When do they get it? What impact does it have? Who gets it? Well, the answer is every single woman in the UK will go through menopause. And every single woman's journey will be different. So any averages are extremely variable, to say the least. So the average age in the UK for a woman to go through menopause is 51. And menopause is an umbrella term that covers perimenopause, menopause and postmenopause, but actually refers to the day in a woman's life that she's gone 12 months period free and has reached the end of her fertile years. It's not a condition and it's not an illness. It is a hormone-related stage of life and it covers the perimenopause as well, which is what most people think of when they hear the words menopause. They're actually thinking of perimenopause, which is when most women get the majority of their symptoms. So when does it happen? Well, perimenopause covers the 10-year period prior to the end of your periods. For most women, they're affected for four to six years, but it can actually last up to 15 years. So really, it's most women in their 40s are in some way affected by perimenopause. It's a bit like puberty in reverse. It has no fixed start. And because most women don't even know that perimenopause is a thing, they don't know what's wrong with them as they enter into the early stages. And essentially what's happening is that the three main hormones in a woman's body of estrogen, progesterone and testosterone are falling from a high level in our 20s and 30s to a new low level by the time we hit 60, 65. And these hormones don't fall in a nice smooth curve of, of 
calmness. They spike up and down the whole way down, in and out of sync with each other, in and out of sync with our normals. And the side effect of that is what's called the, the menopausal symptoms. The three hormones, estrogen, progesterone and testosterone, regulate almost everything good about our bodies from our brain function, our mood, our emotions, our weight, our digestion, adrenaline production, body aches and pains. They affect so many things that there are 35 categories of symptom, but actually hundreds of different subcategories. That is fantastic. Now, I've been married for 30 years and I have two adult daughters and it wasn't until about 18 months ago that I first heard the term perimenopause. Could you just go into that? Because I'm very conscious that you say you need to educate people. And, and I think we've discussed before, that is not just men, that is not just managers. It's also women. And it's also people being managed by women need to have a greater awareness. And 50 seems to be a number of people are aware of. Menopause is a term most people should be aware of. Perimenopause is relatively new, I think. And can you just go into more detail about that? Because that's critical because it's a long period and it starts 10 years earlier. And it's during that phase, it would seem, that all the symptoms that are associated with menopause happen. Absolutely. I mean, it's slightly ridiculous that everyone goes through perimenopause, yet so few people have even heard of it, let alone the women who it's affecting. And I actually found it more upsetting to discover after four years of being affected that I was normal and it was my ignorance that had caused half of my problems. Perimenopause, as I said, it starts really mid-early 40s in most women and it creeps up. And most women put the symptoms of perimenopause down to lifestyle. So you're tired, your body might ache a bit, you might put on a little bit of weight and occasionally sleep a bit funny or your menstrual cycle might change a little bit. And almost every woman I've ever spoken to goes, oh, no, my cycle's a bit off this month or I slept badly last night. We sort of brush it aside and carry on. And it is only when it gets too bad that somebody might join the dots. They might join those dots together and work out that there's an awful lot of things going wrong with them up and down over the course of three or four years. And a lot of women turn around and say at some point, I just don't feel myself anymore. I'm a bit down about everything and have no mojo left. And perimenopause is the word that we really need to get out there for people to look out for before they get there so that when it happens to them, they start knowing what's going on. And if women don't know what's happening to them, it's very hard for the people around them to have any idea of why they might be in really low mood for a month or two, or extraordinarily tired, or very grumpy, or a bit more prone to mood swings. And as you said, it's extremely hard to be in a team led by somebody who is one minute your best friend, the next minute quite grumpy. And if they don't know what's wrong with them, how is the junior team member, particularly a male, meant to, to sort of approach them or find out what they can do about it? Louise, coming to you now, and thank you for doing this. It's quite brave. Now, I know that you actually look as if you're approaching your 30th birthday, but apparently you're a few years older than that. And can you tell us about your experiences with perimenopause and how you came across the term and what your personal experiences of this whole process was? Yes, of course. I, I mean, I concur with what Lucinda said. I didn't even know what it was until I was told that's what I had, which is quite profound. So for me, a couple of years ago, I started to really pretty much the loss of confidence and things just didn't feel right. I was questioning myself a hell of a lot. But the big point, which was quite dangerous actually, was when driving on a motorway, I would have panic attacks 
And these were quite scary and very dangerous, in fact, because I'd just lose all my legs would turn to jelly if I was overtaking a lorry, palpitations. It was just horrendous. And this started to happen on multiple occasions. I'd never had a panic attack in my life in a car. And this continued on. I started to feel really low. And I was very fortunate enough to have an annual MOT, as I call it, with a doctor. And she asked, is there anything else that you want to talk about? And I raised the point of just feeling low, low esteem. I was having panic attacks when in the car. And obviously through that MOT, I'd put on a fair bit of weight as well. And she started to talk about perimenopause. And she said, these are classic symptoms. And lo and behold, over the coming months, that's what was the outcome. So for me, no one, even in my friend circle, no one had ever discussed that. And at that point, what would have been 48, 47? It was quite bizarre that I'd never even known about it. And it was a massive relief for me because at that time I was starting to question, am I good enough, imposter syndrome, all of those things that throw up. And it was actually just the hormones on overdrive. And I've now, through all of that, managed to overcome those things when they show up. That's really good, Louise, that you actually saw somebody. Lucinda, the medical profession itself, how aware are they? Because I think we've had a conversation where Louise could have turned up to a GP and said, I'm getting panic attacks and not feeling confident, etc. And it would have been diagnosed as some kind of mental ill health condition. And she'd be not palmed off necessarily, but given antidepressants, etc, which are just not the right thing. What do you think is the awareness out there amongst the medical fraternity? Well, at the moment, it is thankfully finally growing. But GPs that most of us go to see are usually over 30. None of them will have covered menopause in any depth at all in any of their training, apart from possibly a one hour overview unless they have opted into the extra menopause training classes. And Louise was lucky that she was told by somebody else early on what was up with her. But apparently 10% of women have at least nine GP appointments for different ailments in their 40s. And they might all be diagnosed as different things. And the GP won't join the dot. So he might treat you for depression and he might give you something for sleeping if you're not sleeping very well or tell you to exercise if you're putting on a bit of weight. So they can get separate creams for body dryness. So the fact that the GPs don't know about it means they're going to treat every symptom you go with as an individual thing, whereas actually treating you for perimenopause or menopause can clear up most of your symptoms most of the time with one umbrella treatment. And so the lack of awareness from GPs isn't helped by women not going to the doctor with an overview. You might go to the doctor without with depression, but you don't mention your poor sleep or your weight gain or any of the other symptoms you might be having, your irritability or brain fog, for example. So it's a both ways problem. But GPs can't necessarily treat women if they have never heard of it themselves. Absolutely. And let's just go through some of the, not all of them, but some of the more well-known and debilitating symptoms of perimenopause. So mood swings, hot flushes, panic attacks, heavy periods. And then there's this thing called brain fog. Do you want to tell us about brain fog? And then Louise, I don't know if you've had it, but could you go through this whole sort of losing confidence thing? So the symptoms, I mean, officially there's 35 categories, but they can be split down and they're split broadly into physical and psychological symptoms. But one physical symptom might affect your psychology. So they're very, very interlinked. But the physical ones, from skin problems to hot flushes to insomnia, heart palpitations, Louise mentioned there, joint pain and increasing headaches. There are so many there, but the psychological side of things, the anxiety and panic attacks and mood swings and brain fog, 
all of these together or all of them separately can help a woman lose a huge amount of confidence at this stage. And brain fog is an extremely common one. And most people think brain fog, oh, I forget the odd word. And everybody goes, oh, yes, I forget the odd word. But brain fog ranges from literally not being able to decide what to wear in the morning to work. You can be driving down a road for 20 minutes with no idea where you're going a lot of women at this stage in life worry that they've got dementia, actually, and are really quite upset by the fact that they're in their early 40s and they walk into a room for a meeting and can't remember what they're meant to be talking about. And of course, you can get word blindness with this and memory problems. And people just feel like they're going crazy. It can be an incredibly debilitating condition and one that people are embarrassed to confess to at work because they think it's a sign of failure. Louise, do you concur with that? So I haven't personally suffered from brain fog but I have actually seen it in the workplace. And more importantly, where people that I've worked with have actually been, I would say, open enough to say that they're suffering from brain fog, which I think is fabulous. And that's where, again, this confidence piece has come in where they've historically known themselves as and been known as high performers. And then all of a sudden things can get dropped because brain fog has got in the way. And what has happened is it's not about their ability. It's the actual condition they have. And I think that's really important for leaders to recognize that and understand it. Because if you don't, it can make it more worse for that individual. And I would suggest I'm quite new into Zurich, actually. And what I've been amazed with is how open and transparent the organization is is to encourage discussions around menopause. And I think that's symptom, therefore, then to people being more open and transparent to talk about any challenges they have, which I think is amazing. And I've never seen that firsthand as a leader before. That's fantastic. And something I think, if anything, nearly every company should do or facilitate somehow. I mean, on that point, what was an example within Zurich is all leaders are encouraged to go to the workplace. There's a section that talks about what is menopause. If you're a leader, what are the things you should look out for? How do you approach those situations? How do you become more understanding to the situation and help? Because ultimately, if it's not managed correctly, that can impact the individual. And the supply of materials to help that is, I think is critical. And I think you need to think about the audiences as well. How do you think about get engagement? So some male leaders, as an example, are they really going to be engaged in wanting to read up on that stuff? really, but it's very important. Today, you need to have high emotional intelligence as a leader and really understand your team. And I remember the day when it was, oh, it's that time of the month again, isn't it? I mean, for God's sake, you should never, ever, as a male leader, make any reference to that. I'm pleased to say that doesn't really happen anymore. But if you were to see mood swings or you were to see flushes in a meeting or you were starting to see these signs, it's your obligation as a leader to read upon that and understand how you can help and help them. So I think it's a really, really important part as being a leader in today's world. I couldn't agree with you more. And I think it's really important that information is actually presented company-wide in a number of different formats, whether that's a written format or whether that's in some kind of podcast or however that information is best consumed by individuals within the company. And I think what you've said Zurich do is very good. Lucinda, how many companies do you work with have that kind of situation where there is an awareness of perimenopause and the issues that can actually relate from that? Because you mentioned earlier, it's not just women going through perimenopause. It may well be the team that they are managing having to come to terms with the symptoms of their manager having this it's such a difficult one to address because i mean every company i speak to 
they are trying to raise the awareness. So they're already on the winning side of information for staff. But it's very difficult for a junior male team member to respond to a very moody female team leader, for example, and know where to go. Where can they go to say, I'm not sure that this person is right? And going back to what Louise just said about, oh, is it the time of the month? There's certainly going to be some people who will think, if not say, oh gosh, she's just a grumpy middle-aged woman and possibly attach the word menopause to it. And it's also fair to say that sometimes people are reprimanding a team member because they've done something wrong. It doesn't mean their hormones are all over the place. 25% of women are relatively unaffected by menopause. So not everybody having a slightly bad day can put it down to hormones or should have it attributed to something being wrong with their stage of life. So helping junior team members know where they can go if they need to raise concerns about the way they're being treated by a senior team member is a really helpful thing. The more I sort of learn about this, the more surprised I am that it's sort of not part of company policy, that you get to a certain point in your management career where you have to know about this. You have to know about people. Do HR departments regularly understand or go on courses to learn about perimenopause. I'm not sure that they do. Do they? Yes, they do. Yeah. At the moment, there is a big drive for HR and people offices to go on training to understand this stage of life and what can be done, where they can suggest help. If a staff member comes to them and says, you know, I'm, I'm out of sorts, I need to work from home, finding out if there's any more information they can be given, such as supporting going to a GP and addressing the flexible working from home, for example, if needed. If, you know, you mentioned earlier that changes to a woman's cycle and menstrual flooding, well, some women don't want to go out of the house for two or three days a month. So having a person you can contact in HR who knows what they are going through or understands it is crucial to being able to pass messages on, for example, because a lot of females do not want to ring up their male boss and explain their personal discomfort of the day or the week in any great detail. They need to be understood that they're ringing in, they're not coming to work today, they're not taking a sickie. It doesn't need to go necessarily into more personal detail than that. And Louise, from a purely commercial aspect, managing menopause could be of a huge benefit to a company. I mean, companies must lose an enormous amount of talent because women may decide to take early retirement or move jobs or not take the promotion that they should do to a higher position because they're losing their confidence. It's a real commercial, clever decision to create awareness of perimenopause throughout the whole company, isn't it? Totally agree. And I think particularly if I think about in the financial services sector, where predominantly a more senior level, you're seeing a greater percentage, and that continues of male leaders, that risk is more profound, I would suggest. So, I mean, when me and Lucinda have talked on this in the past, if you think about how you're supported through maternity leave, if that's done really well, you will stay with that employer, you become more loyal, and the same should apply for menopause and that awareness. So when females start to move into this age category where it's likely to show up, what interventions are in place automatically by that employer and the leader to say, we're here, we understand. And as I say, in, in Zurich, the, there's a proliferation of insight and information. There's even a group of women that come together on teams to share challenges and experiences, and that's really endorsed. So yeah, I, I think you're absolutely right. It's something that should be taken really seriously and invested in absolutely and uh, let's hope it is because the age uh, is a bummer really because when you think about the time when you're about to go into senior executive levels it's about in your 40s 50s and that's when this the, the timing couldn't be much worse 
for women, which is another inbuilt biological unfairness. Lucinda, can we talk about HRT for a little while? Do you want to just tell us about that? Because there's a lot of myths around it, not only negative myths, but it's not a magic bullet either, is it? No, it's not. I'm just going to go back on something Louise said there, that 33% of women consider leaving their jobs when they're perimenopausal and menopausal, and 10% of them actually leave. You know, obviously, the cost of losing those women in a large company is enormous when you're trying to increase diversity and have women leaders. So a menopause policy and a good one, not just a piece of paper, can make a massive difference to the company layout of men and women. So it's, as you said, a really good thing to do is, is support them and keep them rather than ignore them and watch them leave. But going back to HRT, yes, you're right, there's a lot of worry about HRT, which is primarily due to a wrong report written in 2002, which was published ahead of being finalised, linking breast cancer risk with HRT. And at that point, GPs stopped using it as the primary treatment. It is actually the NICE guidelines now primary treatment option for menopausal and perimenopausal women. And it has a lot of health benefits. The benefits outweigh the risks for about 80% of women and the long-term health benefits for ageing, really, osteoporosis and cardiovascular disease and dementia, all kill more women than breast cancer does. And HRT will help you with the delay of those symptoms. It's not a magic bullet at all. And like many medications, if you go on HRT, the first type may not suit you. The second type may not suit you. It's a little bit of a trial and error. But for most women, it does give more benefit than side effects. But it's really, really key that if somebody tries HRT and it doesn't work, to try a different type rather than giving up altogether to start with. It's a bit like blood pressure medication. Yes. There's a variety of products out there for people to try. I have to say that, that for a lot of women, if they don't know they're perimenopausal and they go to a GP who doesn't really join the dots, they won't be offered HRT. So educating the women at this stage of life ahead of it means they might go to the GP and say, I would like to try HRT, which cuts out maybe three or four years of wasted time. And HRT is a viable and acceptable treatment of perimenopause. There should be no shame or issues attached to taking it in your 40s. Absolutely not. And it's the old fashioned training, if the GP's got it, was that you can't start HRT until you have already finished your periods at the average age of 51. But actually, HRT helps with nearly all menopausal symptoms, night sweats being a massive one that almost or for nearly all women are alleviated by HRT. And you really taking it early just means you won't get as down or derailed by your symptoms for as long. And Louise, what more do you think can be done in financial services? We are beginning to see women, not enough, but some women in senior positions throughout financial services. But as an industry, how do we actually raise awareness? How do we do a menopausal Black Lives Matter type thing? I think it's like with anything, isn't it? It's bringing the reality of the situation for more people to come out, as it were, and be okay to talk about these situations. Because as soon as you do that, the floodgates will open and everyone will have a story to share. And admittedly, some won't, but some will. And I think that can really create a confidence for people to face into it. And every employer can initiate that activity in their business to bring people forward. The challenges with this, Barrett, this is not difficult at all. 
it's just about how you get the energy and engagement and passion behind it to make it a reality. I'm blessed to work with an organization that's done this already. So as a leader, as an example for me, it makes it much easier. But I know for my colleagues, it's there, but it's not just about awareness. I think it's about intervention. So as your employees start to come to these ages, it's about how do you give those nudges and prompts to say, is this affecting you? Don't worry if it is. This is all the material and support that we have so that you feel straight away that you've got that support mechanism straight away. I think it's better to be proactive. So I think that could be very powerful as well as awareness. I mean, maybe we should get the government nudge people to use behavioural sciences to increase awareness, and that would be quite interesting. You say, Lucinda, that talking about it is really important, and we've discussed talking about it isn't easy, and it's certainly more difficult depending on your heritage and background. So could you just talk us through your understanding that educated white British women find it much easier to talk about menopause than others. Could you just like go into that for a little while? Yes, of course. So the average middle-aged white woman may not have heard of perimenopause, but might sit around with her friends after the birth of a baby or a particularly bad set of symptoms and say, God, I didn't sleep well last night or, or my periods have really changed. But not every culture talks about their bodily functions openly, not even within groups of women. And that in itself can be a problem because if you think that you've got early onset dementia and you're from a different cultural background, you may not want to tell anybody at all. And you are far less likely to go to a doctor, a possibly a white male GP, about changes to your vagina and your vulva and your menstrual flooding. If you're not going to tell your sister, you're unlikely to go to a doctor and open up about something so personal. So if women can have the information early, They might be able to talk about it, but if not, they can look it up themselves. And I listened to a lovely podcast the other day when the doctor involved was a Pakistani heritage. And she said that she translated her podcast into Pakistani afterwards and got an awful lot of calls because there is nothing that's not on mainstream English radio that addresses these things. So even getting awareness out to smaller ethnic minorities can be hard for people who don't have English as first language. I do think it's important that this fits in very well with the whole diversity and inclusivity initiative, because as we create more and more diverse teams, we need to be sensitive to their needs from a sort of perimenopausal perspective. And I think that's a very good point that you need may need to do extra work with some members of your team. Are you aware of that, Louise, in terms of looking at the makeup of your teams that some women from different backgrounds may need a little bit more support or just need to be teased out a little bit more because they're not going to be as forthcoming as others. Yeah, and I think that's why, to my point made earlier on, is that proactive nudge because they might not want to talk about it, but if something's put to them that they can read in their own time and look into, that's always a big trigger, isn't it, to then give them the confidence to then have that discussion. I mean, in my discussions as an open team, I've got a mixture of of obviously males and females in my leadership team. I wouldn't be of concern to ever talk about these challenges as a leadership team and what that shows up on and what does it mean for our team. And again, it's that confidence, isn't it, to be able to be happy to talk about that. But then with your leaders, make sure that when they need to recognize that there will be so much varying levels of response And, you know, some women just don't want to talk about this. So it's giving them a safe environment with which they can understand 
what it means and educate them and help them behind the scenes. And if necessary, which was alluded to earlier on, you engage with the people function to support you. I think in terms of where we are now, Lucinda, do you think we're in a much better place now than we were five years ago? Massively. Massively better. There's a huge drive for information and open talking about it. Companies are taking on menopause policies. The biggest problem is still letting women know ahead of their 40s because the average woman at the age of 37 doesn't go and look up perimenopause. So it's women who are already struggling might do something about it now, particularly with the given media sort of campaign to raise awareness. But letting people know at the beginning of their journey is the next stage. But we are so much further ahead in the last five years. That's good to know. And I think we're going to be doing two events on this subject. And I think it's important that everybody makes sure that look after and respond to the women in your life, in your world, and with a little bit more understanding, a little bit more care. So thank you both and thanks you to everybody that's listened. And please, if you could show some consideration and understanding, then the whole world will be a better place. Thank you very much. If you have enjoyed this episode and want diversity and inclusion to have as wide an audience as possible, make sure you share with your friends and colleagues and hit the subscribe button so you never miss an episode.